Hello. Hello. My name is Emma. I'm Antonella. And you are listening to More Than Meets the Eye. And we are here to help you see the world through a more aesthetically pleasing lens. Yes, we are. Especially this week is very aesthetically interesting. Makes you like want to think about aesthetics. Yeah, this one's a deeply layered. Oh yeah, uh, episode. It I is would say. a lot. A lot of places it could go. Yeah, so. I'm excited to see where it goes. Um, mm-hmm. But if you don't know our podcast, uh, we talk about aesthetics every two weeks, um, <laughs> and we <laughs> talk about kind of what goes into an aesthetic, how aesthetics are broken down, can be broken down, how they can break down the culture around us, the world around us, um, and it's a jolly good time. And what are we talking about this week, Ella? This week, the subject is avant-garde, which is very appropriately timed because you just came back from France. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, the Yay. epicenter of many an avant-garde movement. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, it's all over the world. I don't know. Like, well, we'll get into this one. I, I'm curious to see what your interpretation of... Mm-hmm addressing this uh i guess i to me quote-unquote aesthetic um for this yeah, podcast will be it was difficult yeah <laughs> but because it's just so wide-ranging how do you even right how do you even pin it down into a little episode right um you can't but we're gonna try yeah we're gonna do our best to just like give you an idea of what we know about it, what we could find about it, et cetera, et cetera. Um, if you could give me, like, a brief description of it, what would you say? Yeah. I would say I can give you, like, a sentence. Perfect. Avant-garde is a re- reaction to and subverting cultural uh, notions of beauty and taste and yeah, a reaction to what we, th- what common society thinks as, um, thinks has artistic value. Yeah, I like what you were saying. I-, I like how you put that, especially like bringing beauty into it. It's something I didn't really think about when doing this, and I think that's a really interesting way of putting it, like subverting the idea of beauty. I like that. Yeah, I think the only thing I would add is kind of encapsulation of politically inspired movements too so it's there's a lot of pushing boundaries there's a lot of political intentions and subtexts and all that stuff i also kind of just like talked about it as a category of aesthetics rather than a specific aesthetic Mm. itself since we were saying it does like encapsulate a lot I I agree with it more as like yeah, it can it fall into many different categories depending on the context. Um, anything can become avant garde, right. possibly. Um, do you have any like personal experience with this style or movement at all previously? Um, as much as I would like to say yes for the sake of the podcast. 
definitely know. <laughs> I, you know, I don't know. To me, it's like I'm not. What boundaries have I pushed? Um, like, <laughs> <laughs> you push so many. <laughs> <laughs> you flattered me. Um, no, it's like I don't know. Especially like in our neo capitalist society, it's like most of what we've experienced is consuming and accepting and conforming Mm -hmm. so it's like it would be very hard to without literally living off the grid which is something I regularly dream about but you know I have never experienced Uh, what about you not through like personal experience but through learning about it for sure like in you know art history like Dadaism and Cubism, those are big parts of learning about art um, and and part of any art history class. And so, yeah, I feel like my exposure to it was through, like, painters. And also, I feel like I also, my understanding of avant-garde is mainly, also mainly based on fashion, too. Like, I feel like when I think of um, Comme des Garçons, like, that, those kind of, all of that really like when I think of avant-garde I think of really interesting sculptural fashion absolutely um I did this whole thing Antonella not a single note about fashion not a like literally I have notes on literature in here not a single note about fashion that is so funny no because it's like literally you can apply avant-garde to every single movement every single art form has its own like literature music theater like I couldn't even like scratch the surface of music I know I I left film all for you I'm sorry (laughs) um but like they're really I mean it's anyone who's subverting the norm so there they and they appear everywhere they are so yeah it's a fun it's a fun one I I think sometimes like when I when we're like putting together aesthetics, like it's fun to think of like pull things from our life and our experience, right? When we're like breaking down these aesthetics, and like sometimes it's a bit harder because it's like oh that's a bit of a stretch, but this kind of applies or like you know <laughs> Lana Del Rey works mm-hmm. for everything, yeah. uh, <laughs> but uh, this one was really like oh like not only does this thing I like to do with like avant-garde movement but so does this like completely different other thing that I really like you know and like yeah yeah well you realize like how much you enjoy is actually just was just someone who was um you know doing something different and breaking the mold a bit and like yeah so many of like the biggest you know icons were people who for like to use avant-garde like as an adjective like they're avant-garde yeah no no absolutely like all all of the household names like they are a household name because they were so wildly different nitty-gritty time this one i definitely i don't even know where to begin (laughs) so i feel like we've done this before and not like fully like this but We've touched on aesthetics that are more driven by, like, attitude or outlook, you know? And I feel like, in a way, like, 
if we break down the basics um, of this aesthetic, like, it is largely about the intention of what you're doing or the attitude of what you're doing. And I think that's where we can kind of, like, give you basic points on how Mm -hmm. this works. So, like, going beyond accepted ideological boundaries. That's a lot of big words. But, like, basically, like, your society is like, hey, this is normal and everybody does this. And when they do art, they do this and it sells really well or something. And then someone comes out and does something that's, like, mocks that or, like, is nothing like that or is just, like, using a new way of painting or a new way of, like, wearing a t-shirt, like, inside out, backwards, upside out, like, doing something wild that everyone's like, that's so weird, until, like, one day it's just a normal thing, you know, it's, like, an everyday yeah. thing that becomes, like, a symbol because it, it like, pushed a boundary to be then, like change the way we see the world i guess yeah and i mean that's just everything you just said goes to show that avant-garde is something that's different for every generation so it's very avant-garde is very contextual as much as it is like this big umbrella term it's also so based on the time and place like i mean to you know to reiterate like it really was just someone who was going against like for that time, right, the norm. So it's obviously going to be different. But, I mean, we could also, you know, I think currently we have our own, like, 2020 avant-garde because there are certain, there has been a certain way of looking or doing things. Right, absolutely. And I would say that for fashion specifically has been a lot more um, gender neutral and androgynous yeah. kinds of clothing. I feel like that has been kind of the avant-garde for fashion today and just like ignoring gender, like right. a gender binary basically. Right. <laughs> Especially when like clothing. And I think like to like to build off of that, like almost like women wearing men's clothes was uh, is a very normal thing. But more the push towards men wearing traditionally feminine clothing is, like, a much new, like, newer thing. Like, just guys wearing skirts is, like, has become a lot more normal than I think it ever was. And not in, like, a, you know, genderqueer way. And just, like, a, this is a guy and he's wearing a skirt and it doesn't mean anything. He's just wearing a skirt. Like, and, like, I think that's, is definitely an avant-garde, like boundary that has become more normal you know totally i would say also for like music though that kind of aesthetic avant-garde aesthetic today has been a lot of electronic and like mashing together really opposite sounds and i feel like that has been and creating and lots of songs that have like like, I'm thinking of, like, we just talked about um, Rosalia, but creating yeah. songs that have, like, very drastic changes within the song. This is not new, but I feel like, you know, it is, in pop music, it's kind of the aesthetic. The, right. The quality of avant-garde music today. I think Rosalia is a great example, too, not because she's gender mixing, which is not a new thing, but because the gen sorry not gender mixing genre mixing <laughs> i'm getting my words mixed up <laughs> um, 
genre mixing, which is not unusual, but she's it's the genres that she's mixing. She's mixing uh, reggaeton with jazz, and it's like that's kind of a newer one, like the quick, but then also with hyper pop, and it's like reggaeton and hyper pop are more like twenty first century uh, musical genres. So like these haven't really been mixed the same way before. And they both have the element of being able to be mixed together, but, like, it's a newer thing for her to do that, I guess. Mm-hmm. Something that was really important in reading about avant-garde for me, which is something that I think current avant-gardeism, I guess in the case of Rosalie, I would take this back, but um, having a radical political ideology, um, typically progressive, but I think in there are certain cases that, like, you could say a conservative radical ideology could be avant-garde, but not in, usually not in an artistic manner, because usually it's not a very, it's not done through, like, artistic expression. Um, usually just not favorable to the arts anyway, because more progressive motion is more favorable to the arts. I'm going to do an example, it's going to be really cringy, but it's super in the media right now, and I just need to, like, I was just thinking about it, and I, like, also want to get your opinion. Mr. Maddie Healy um, is, like, one of his things that he does is to kind of, like, I, I was reading about this guy, and I, I like the way he writes, and he was writing about Maddie Healy. And the, about- uh, the front man, if you don't know, oh, front man yes. of the 1975, like a just indie pop band right who is now dating taylor swift um and that's why he's like totally in the news way more but this guy was describing it as maddie healy making a performance art out of being an edgelord which if you don't know what an edgelord is it's essentially like uh conservative men who want to say really edgy things to piss people off um but trying to make it like this shtick that he like pulls off in the media, in on stage, and it's like, really, it just makes him a massive asshole. But like, in a way, I can kind of see like, there's an artistic thing to it. Do I enjoy it? No. <laughs> but like, I I understand where he's coming from. So I don't want to completely say like it can't be possible. I just think it's not typical for avant garde, but. Yeah, that's a really interesting example because what he is doing is obviously causing what Maddie is doing is causing a lot of like uproar and right. reaction, um, which is clear he's looking for that right. kind of attention. Like it's solely based on getting a reaction from people, um, which I guess in a way is avant-garde because (laughs) we don't want to admit it (laughs) yeah yeah like but i think but i feel like avant-garde also has to do with like social change too and i'm not sure if you know he's really trying to advocate for this i don't not sure what his intentions are if they really are to be this like um means of social change in society i i think he's just trying to get attention i think he's just trying to piss people off yeah which i think a lot of avant-garde artists like like to do that and it's a part of it but i also think there's also this intention of like wanting to create a larger like change too which i feel like he's kind of just 
I don't know what he's doing. No, I absolutely but. agree with you. I think maybe what what doesn't what what disqualifies him and what you're saying is that it's not really about the art. <laughs> and yeah, I was reading another thing by the same person about him again, but like a week later, um, it's a newsletter. But uh, <laughs> he like writes about writing pop culture things, and like Maddie Healy's been in the news a lot, so there hasn't been like a true artistic censor freedom to the music that he's made in like a while and I like a lot of it is like it's made so that it's like it will be successful or it will like and appealing yeah yeah. so it's like there's no true artistic freedom to his music it's just this weird performance thing that he does as like a media presence I guess it's very interesting yeah so I guess if you aren't familiar um I Maddie Healy's just been, I mean, you, you explained it as an edgelord, but he also has just been kind of aligning himself with, like, right, um, right-wing thinking and um, doing very performative, provocative things. Like, right. um, I think he did a Nazi salute recently. He, so it's a regular thing he does in one of his song performances. And again, so, he actually, it's, like, though this guy that was writing about him, Ryan Broderick, was saying that he actually, essentially, has progressive values, but does this edgelord thing to be edgy, and, like, shows, like, um, he was on this podcast, which is, like, technically... It's a dirtbag left-wing podcast. So these people are progressive, but they're also racist and, like, they're also bigoted, right? So it's, like, progressive bigotry, which doesn't... It kind of cancels itself out at the end of the day. Yeah. But it's, like, they do want the progression of society, but they also want to be shocking and racist towards other people. Which yeah. is, like, it, it doesn't make any sense. But that's essentially, like, he does these things, like a Hitler salute in the middle of one of his songs every time he performs it because it's shocking but it's like that's actually like really harmful and offensive and because he's like the guy that he is which is like privileged white dude like he can do that with minimal repercussions you know yeah it just doesn't feel very creative no. to me I guess <laughs> so I think it's just lacking that <laughs> For me, I'm just like, it just doesn't feel very different. I feel like anyone can just, you know, show up and do something outrageous and stupid. It's like almost like picturing like your intrusive thoughts, basically. Absolutely. I'm not like people's intrusive thoughts are to like do racist things, but like it's almost like you kind of just like, okay, like, yeah, I could also just like do any random thing and get a reaction, but I'm not going to. It it doesn't come from a place of creativity. Exactly. um, Yeah. Which is the issue. And that's so. where it loses its eh, its ability wrong. to be avant-garde. <laughs> Not avant-garde. But I yeah. feel like that just further, I guess, helps us, I guess, define avant-gardeism. Yeah, for sure. Um, to, like, get down to the nitty-gritty of it. Um, mm-hmm. Which is, should be about the art, first and foremost. Um, Another thing, yeah. do you have any other, any other thing to follow up with that? Before? Not with those. Yeah, I was just going to mention that i feel like a part of maybe the aesthetic yeah if you will of avant-garde is maybe like um losing functionality 
changing a form for the sake of its function, basically, and subverting function as well. Okay. So, like, in fashion, could be something that's maybe not as wearable anymore. Um, in You think this, this is uh, avant-garde? We're going in the direction of avant-garde, correct? Yes, okay. it is avant-garde. Okay. Um, maybe for film, it's maybe not as... The yeah. plot isn't... <laughs> isn't something you can follow as easy absolutely um, yeah so the uh, it's hard to it's hard apply functions to everything but basically like changing the basically losing the, the content of it for the sake of like a new form um, yeah could then, be a part of it i i think i agree with you i think the only thing that um i would like enhance in that and like what you're suggesting is like there's an idea that we have to teach ourselves to understand this new conception of that form, almost. I'm thinking about film specifically. I know mm-hmm. fashion and, like, whatnot is different. I find, but I actually, like, through doing, like, research on avant-garde, I was like, oh, I really like experimental film, and I didn't realize that. Um, but there's a kind of, like, you have to let go of the assumption that there's going to be a very easily laid out plot for you. It, you have to, like, prepare, not prepare, but, like, learn to read the film in a way that you wouldn't read, like, a Disney film. You know, like, mm. it's not an easier, it's not, like, easy to sit down and watch a film, but there is, like, a letting go of, like, expecting a certain plot structure to happen in accepting the way the film is given to you and still getting a lot out of it, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah. No, it's just looking at it in a new way, like, from previous, like, how you previously experience it, or how a film previously functions. Right. Um, And I think, I'm thinking in fashion, like, you change, like, it makes it seem less wearable. For example, if, if it allows for, like, partial nudity or something, it's like, that to us would be like wow that's crazy like that's partial nudity like you can't do that that's like supposed to be a shirt but then it's like if you let go of that idea that that is what partial nudity is then it's like you're like oh but that's still a shirt that's still cool you know and it's like right the kind of like disassociating from the style norms to understand the form is something that can exist yeah and about you know also just about process too like change a uh, difference in process I mean, to start, I would say it's interesting to know the root of the, the term avant-garde. Yes. Which, obviously, it's French, but it refers to the warriors who were the, f- the first in the army to be to go out during the war. Yes. During, during war, not right. the war. Um, first to go out during war. Um, and then... You know, it's then applied to art in the early 1800s um, and made its way into fashion. But basically, it's like these are these people, these avant-garde people are warriors who are brave enough to challenge the norm. Right. Which I, I like that. It feels very literal, but it, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. No, I like that too. I was very baffled by the military metaphor but um 
I, I think the way you're saying it, it does make a lot of sense. Um, and yeah, definitely like around like the 19th century is kind of like when it started becoming more recognized as a thing, I guess. Definitely deeply through, strongly through the, the 20th century. And I think I, I'm going to make an argument and I'll make it more later that it's slowed down nowadays. But you, you gave, mm. we, we talked about some pretty good examples earlier. So like, I'm willing to be wrong about that. Very wrong about that. And also, yeah, just to say, yeah, I feel like we can talk about iconic figures and everything within films and music within all of this. We can just, yeah, we can just combine them. Just, yeah, um, just, because it, it makes sense because it goes kind of like era by era. Yeah, totally. Um, I want to start with, can we start with, like, visual arts? I know that's for your expertise. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. Um... um yeah, I Dadaism is one that I actually like. Uh, I feel like I don't know enough about. Like I would love to know more. That's like 1920s, right? Yeah, it was um it's it was a reaction to World War 1. Right. So okay. basically um you know it was a rejection of art. Yeah. And I like the term anti-art because yeah. It's kind of funny. It's it's ironic. You know, you're making art, but you're also against I it. <laughs> I like Man uh, Ray, especially, you know, the tears one. Like that, I think that's like the most beautiful photograph ever. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that beautiful? That's so beautiful. Yeah, I love that. And uh, I don't know Duchamp as well. Also, as well as I would like to, but I like his. Yeah, like he was I the have... one who uh, submitted a urinal to yes. <laughs> an artist society. Um, but yeah, Dadaism is just about nonsense and uh, uh, rejecting logic, basically. And I think even the word Dada is supposed to be like not. <laughs> Based on anything, it's supposed yeah. to also just be, like, a random word. Right. Um, is Magritte considered Dadaism? Because he has the, this is not a pipe, and it's, like, a drawing of a pipe. I, yeah, <laughs> I would put him in that category. I don't know his, um, his period of... And then there's Picasso. Sorry, if I... Stop me. Yeah, yeah, no, and then, I mean... Dadaism like leads into cubism, which is kind of an off branch of Dadaism, and that just gets into more collage and abstract art, um, and just like further straying away from the convention of art, and yeah. at that time, um, and just like experimenting with like material as well, right. too. And Dali, Casso, okay. yeah, and Magritte, they're like. I feel like they have a similar well there's surrealism right so it's mm-hmm. they're all like they happen at like you would know better sorry i i shouldn't even <laughs> talk because i don't know that well but i know that they all kind of happen similar times like overlapping but also yeah like, no a lot of it is happening all at once yeah. and then like you know in europe but also other parts of the world too um, which I feel like, unfortunately, my education didn't really talk about 
much other places besides Europe, right, which is unfortunate. Which, yeah. <laughs> I definitely, but that's kind of typical, which is, is unfortunate yeah. in general. Um, and then going into, like, the 60s and after that, Warhol, um, Basquiat. And that's a lot about, you know. yeah, like, consumerism yeah. and pop art gets into all of that, um, which... Right. And it also, like, gets into camp, yeah. too. Yeah, um, I veer off into music. Do you, do you want to add more art or fashion? Like I said, no notes on fashion. Don't know what <laughs> what's going on. I feel like my, my fashion notes maybe are a little bit more, like, recent, so okay. that could be more, like, current, present vibes. Presence vibes. For in but. mid-century... I would only add, uh, uh, oh, I guess before that, music-wise, there was, like, Schoenberg and Stravinsky are some uh, 20th century classical uh, composers who are very famous. Uh, you know, you would know the Rite of Spring. You, I know you know the Rite of Spring, but, like, listeners might know the Rite of Spring. It's a pretty famous one um, by Stravinsky. Even a little, like, Prokofiev is, like... Uh, it's really funny. Prokofiev did, uh, you know, Peter and the Wolf. Um, I like that was on in the on the radio in the car the other day, and I was like, "This is crazy!" Because I like grew up listening to Peter and the Wolf all the time. To then realize it's kind of as you know avant garde as it is is like, oh, that's kind of wacky. Um, but it's such good storytelling that like. But the way the music is, like, it has that kind of clashing sound to it, um, is a very, like, avant-garde thing for music, even at the time that it was written. That's so interesting, because I don't really know too much about early avant-garde music. Should Hmm. I play? I think you would know Red of Spring, but I'm happy to play you a clip of it. I know the name, and I probably I probably just don't know the the sound the song that's actually associated with it. I think I know it. I think if I went to like a popular part of it, you would. That's kind of like the super famous part, like the dun 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 mm-hmm. uh, because that's not, you know, in a normal time signature. That's in like, I don't know, like <laughs> there he's like switching time signatures, which is not like a, a thing that like anybody did before then, unless it was mm-hmm. like, a waltz or something, you know, and like very interesting, um, very exciting thing that he was doing at the time. Um. Yeah, I would recommend, like, just checking out, if you're interested in that, Stravinsky, Schoenberg, like, they're really uh, wacky guys. Um, (laughs) And then, if you get into, like, mid-century, mid-20th century, we have, like, jazz in the 60s, it's known for being very avant-garde, Miles Davis, Johnny Coltrane, um, 
my better expertise in avant-garde music, of course, pops up in the 80s. Um, and that I would talk about, like, Susie the Banshees or... Um, I really would love to play a Daruni Column song because he was very early post-punk movement, which punk is funny because it's like that was rejection of like rock and roll, right? Yeah. And then you have post-punk, which is like this wacky, trippy rejection of punk. So it's like, it's funny how avant-garde will like do that, like trip over itself almost, you know? Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. Especially, yeah, it's funny in those in that period of time because it feels like everything was just going back and forth the pendulum was just right. swinging um like to brit pop and uh all of that right can i play punk. please another, do another piece okay i love dirty column um after i found them after i found it, it's just this one guy uh his name is benny riley and kind of like after i discovered it it's mostly he doesn't sing so it's like very like largely um instrumental which is great for like if you just want something in the background um but i love what he does because he mixes a lot of like oh my god like i said words ambient sounds in with like his music so this is sketch for the summer right there's like lots of layers to it too you know which mm-hmm. I think part of avant-gardeism is like finding like talk about Rosalia just everything like finding ways to like layer meaning and like I guess experiment really just with what you're doing oh Eric Satie is another more avant-garde like any like impressionistic music too like Ravel WC like they were they're all technically avant-garde mm-hmm. as well yeah, it's so interesting to think about it in that, in like the orchestral music world, um, because there's there's also was like obviously conventions and norms that were broken too there. Yeah. But I feel like my experience, like I said before, or like my thought of avant garde music is more like avant pop, right? And the things that maybe the the Beatles were doing, like that was oh, experimental, yeah. and um like Bjork of course oh yeah Bjork um and even like Kate Bush too oh absolutely Um, I know I was like my queen Kate Bush is really like an avant-garde queen because she her songs that weren't on Stranger Things are like the wackiest songs you've ever heard like (laughs) they are so odd um like if you want a weird Kate Bush song listen to Mother's Dance for Comfort because that song is wacky. But, like, I've listened to it enough times that I, like, will now, like, get really sad when I hear it because it is a very sad song, um, even though it's, like, very weird. But it's, yeah. I would say, like, a more modern avant-pop example would be the producer Sophie and her 
she died like a couple of years ago. I don't know if you remember this. I um, recognize her name. I just don't. Yeah. Yeah. So she does like she did a lot of like experimentation and like pop music and creating like really like electronic and gritty production. But yeah, she yeah. I feel like she was like kind of laid a foundation for a lot of the experimental pop music currently and she worked with a lot of you know popular artists like charlie xcx yeah Um, okay very sad but yeah she did a lot but definitely like cool in her art um and her legacy Mm -hmm. um changed the world for sure um that's cool. I'm going to look into her more because I, I don't know that yeah. much about her. So, Yeah, she is great. I would definitely, she's like a, she has like released music as like on her own, but she's also like worked with so many artists too. Um, yeah. yeah. No, I could, I'm looking at like all this stuff that she's made with people, like produced for people. Mm-hmm. And it's quite extensive. Yeah, like, a a wide range of people, too, which is really cool. Yeah. Um. (laughs) Like, Little Yachty and Camila Cabello. (laughs) Like, so many people. Yeah. But, yeah, into into fashion, too. Oh, yeah. More recently, I feel like avant-garde has kind of become super relevant. Uh, When a few years ago, the Met Gala's theme was camp, notes on fashion. Yeah. Um, and that really put experimental f- fashion into kind of like more, you know, um, into the spotlight a bit. And I feel like that was super helpful. That was like a moment I feel like it kind of started a trend, I think, now, like this maximalist trend that we've been in. Yeah. Um, I feel like that had a lot of influence. What? I said, thank goodness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, it's it's great. I um i mean if you don't know what like camp is i don't really know like a true definition on it but from what i understand it's kind of just wearing ironic and uh ironic clothing or it's camp can be is is one of the things like we should do that as an episode that would be a fun episode because it's like avant-garde in that it's more of a category that specific things can fall into but it's not, like, a defined thing itself. Um, because, like, in comedy and in film, camp is, like, a very specific thing. Where, um, I my, one of my favorite discussions in, like, that kind of medium is, like, the difference between campy and camp. And campy is unintentional camp. So it's something that's kind of kitschy and kind of, like, oh, like, a little cringy, but it's campy. And, like, you can mm-hmm. really love it because of that. But camp is like... You're... It's so bad, it's good. Right, right. <laughs> camp is intentional. Like camp is you are going all out on purpose to make a statement. And like, that is so... It's so interesting that they can get a very similar vibe to them, but be two very different things, you know? Yeah, totally. And I just, I feel like um, there's been so many interesting experiments in fashion because of it and people have been more daring and wanting to kind of push the boundaries a little bit um like just as of late i feel like but i mean although you have an argument that you think it's maybe not so much 
Uh, there's not so much avant-garde, yeah. but we can talk about it. Yeah, we can talk about it, because I, I, I'm thinking, you know, as we talk, I'm thinking more, and I'm, like, coming up <laughs> with more thoughts. Uh, can I begin my rant? Yes. Okay. <laughs> so, jumping into film stuff. Um, I'd say probably one of the most uh, famous avant-garde experimental films is La Jetée which is a short, meaning, like, I think it's, like, 20, 30 minutes, uh, French film from the 60s, and it's a film, but, um, it's told in still images. So, like, basically, if you, if if you don't know how film works, film technically is still images, just played, so many minuscule film images played back-to-back that it looks like movement. Um, but they basically took out, like, half those still images, and it's like, here's a photograph, and then here's a new photograph, and then here's a new photograph, and it's, I, like, don't find the film very interesting itself, but I'm so fascinated by the form, which you were talking about form a lot, so, like, definitely, like, could totally see that in this, um, that it's just really interesting the way he uses still images rather than a moving image, because it's, like, why did we invent movies if like this is just as interesting but um so there's La Jetée which is really famous um I think avant-garde has really been part of film forever because film definitely grew out of like experimentation and you know creating these moving images um but as film started to get established and Hollywood became a thing like even in the golden ages like people wanted to push away from that of course so you get like Vertov doing Man with a Camera, Man with a Movie Camera. Um, a lot of like French uh, filmmakers doing things where they just take a film camera. It's kind of how the new wave of French new wave cinema started was like um, directors were like, I don't want a studio. I want to walk down the street with my camera and film my actor doing stuff. Um, and that kind of like revolutionized cinema. Um, same thing with Italian neorealism. But that's like general history. I don't know why I'm going into so much history. Um, very specific people are like David Lynch is another super popular um, avant-garde filmmaker because he does not go for your standard plot structure. Um, and like one of my favorite podcasters who talks about films said something really great, which was, he was like, I walk out of David Lynch films, and I love it, and I have no idea how he did that. And it's kind of, like, great, because if you try to tell the plot of a David Lynch movie, it's like, what the fuck am I saying? But it's like... What, what are, give me examples of David Lynch movies. Oh, uh, Twin Peaks. Um, oh, okay, yeah. I knew that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Twin Peaks, Lost Highway, uh, Mulholland Drive, um... Yeah, it's just very, uh, doesn't really make any sense, but there's something about when you're watching it that it doesn't matter that it doesn't make any sense. It's, it's, it's so enjoyable to watch. Um, one of my current, like, newer favorites is Chantal Ackerman, um, who made the film, uh, which has a very long title, but I'm just gonna call it Jean Dielman, which is, like, the name of the main character, and, um, recently... I don't know the name of the publication because I don't care that much, but <laughs> this very, like, important, like, spiffy uh, 
film publication named it the best movie of all time um and like wow. got moved up to number one and it is fully an experimental film because it's about four hours long and one of the half an hours is this woman this housewife woman who's the main character they're following just cooking a meal like just putting it together but it's like <sighs> so much of it is about the small the way she moves and the way she does this and the fact that she just does this every day and you're watching it and you're like this is boring and this she does every day and it's boring you know and it's like that's so it's so brilliant in being a four hour long movie for no reason but it's like not for no reason it's for a reason and really great really good comments on feminism and femininity and like if you have four hours you could break it up i broke it up when i first watched it um worth your time wow that's my little film spiel oh i was just gonna say one more person going out of the western world in iran um i was Kirstami, another filmmaker that i like a lot um who does the same thing where like one of his famous quotes which i think i've talked about this before on the podcast because i say this quote all the time was that if you fell asleep during his movie that was his goal so you you fulfilled his goal um <laughs> Oh my god. And it's like, there's this one movie that he made that I like love so much, but it's really that once you make it through this movie, which is just like, you're like, wow, this movie's really long and like kind of dry, but the last scene is like so fucking beautiful that it's like, there's something about making it to that moment and like seeing how beautiful that scene is that like makes it all worth it makes being so bored you're falling asleep in the middle worth it and i i I don't know it's very interesting very like something that i think is just like a great part of film anyway but you don't think there's like a current presence of that i don't know um i guess like you could say ari aster to a certain extent I would go back to the Maddie Healy thing where I don't really know if he does it for the art um, Mm. or if he does it for the shock value, you know? And that's, like, the one part where I would, like, question that or, like, be like, are we sure? Um, I'm sure there's a lot going on under the surface of film, like, not on, like, you know, not being produced by A24, not being produced by Warner Brothers. That is happening, but um, it's really, reading this really great, uh, thing which explained a lot of the frustration that I feel where like all of these artistic industries are not set up for people to really experiment it's you either sell out and you make a living or you get to the point where you literally cannot afford to like survive anymore and you have to you know yeah. give up and default on the something cost else. the cost of living is definitely killing art and artists right that and that there's no way no none of these industries because they've all been so capitalized it's like there's no room for actual art um to be made interesting stuff um i want to shout out some stuff really fast if i can yeah get into your literature i just was gonna say um it's i mean so much of avant-garde is being anti society anti um you know big conglomerates and it's just you can't really do that with these like big mass production major motion pictures right 
Um, so. Yeah. I absolutely agree with you. And it's. I think what disappoints me about the current film industry. And this is due to what I was saying. That like there is no room for anybody to do this. And like live off of it. Is that. Nobody's making stuff. That's like trying to go against that really like I I don't see a lot of that and I don't see a lot of that not coming from Nepo Babies which is just like a reality Mm -hmm. that we live in is that that's the only people who can try their hand at art but then there's a question of their like validity just because of the privilege that they've been able to have all the resources to do this you know um not to say that none of them are valid. None of them are valid. That's not what I'm trying to say. It's just a confusing situation for literature. Just like E.E. E. Cummings. We all know him. He's definitely like avant-garde poet. Gabriel Garcia Marquez is a really famous Argentinian author who is known for doing like a, like a lot of really funky stuff. I wouldn't even say Toni Morrison. You know, she does magical realism, which is definitely like pushing the boundaries of literature Richard Stein, James Joyce, Jack Kerouac, David Foster Wallace. Those are just all the ones that I was like, oh, yeah, our little experimental writers. Because it's, it's actually a very relevant part of literature, which is something we don't see a lot. Yeah, I didn't really. Th- yeah, I know. We never really mention literature in our in our date, in our episodes. Um, yeah, I guess I, I didn't think about it in terms of uh writers too but that makes a lot of sense and definitely in poetry i can see that too yeah and in like it's i think what's interesting it's very similar to film in that part of it is like not following a specific plot or like being experimental Mm. with the plot or like how a plot works or what a plot is form going back to form um and i think like that's where literature really comes into avant-gardeism is that it like it can be really, it's all about form, so it it can be really interesting to play with that form, I guess. Yeah, because I mean, there is, I think with like literature and film, there really is like a expectation of how you read a book, how you experience a movie, it's very specific, and yeah. it feels like there's only one way you can really do it, um, whereas maybe fashion is they're like sculptural art pieces too but um you can still it's different um i i actually i agree and i think that's where my if we want to jump into future uh ideas on avant-garde um i think this is where i feel like it's not happening not necessarily not in fashion not in music but like not in the storytelling aspect of art, which when I say storytelling aspect, all art is about storytelling. I mean like the more like literal like literature and filmmaking. Like I don't see as much of a, I don't see people challenging stories because I think mm. there's so much pressure in our working lives, in our consumers, consumeristic lives, that everything we consume needs to be very easy to consume. So we're not challenging ourselves in what we are consuming, right? So therefore, why would we want anything that was, like, out of the norm? Right. I think with fashions, you're, it's also just, like, something so visual that, yeah. you're, that you're looking at that it's 
avant-garde is so encouraged in that world and in like visual all visual arts of that kind um that it's it's just so intertwined with it and there's so many artists that are doing that visual artists that are doing that and experimenting and pushing the boundaries like constantly um but yeah I guess I'm, I'm maybe I'm just not privy to it but maybe yeah storytelling forms of art aren't as set up for that yeah in this society maybe just from my perspective just because of the effects of capitalism and and new capitalism and you know it's about immediate pleasure and immediate consumption right and like that destroys artistic value in these kind of mediums where like not to throw shade at her because I haven't read any of her books but I'm sure they are really enjoyable but something like Sally Rooney like those are meant those books are designed for you to read in a couple weeks and get a lot out of it because their characters are very tumultuous and it's all about romance like it's meant to be that way whereas like it's not really challenging your idea of what a story is you know and I'm thinking of like now I'm maybe I'm gonna double back on what I just said about visual arts but definitely like the trend cycle has change things where it's not so easy to be subverting the norm because things are changing so fast maybe yeah but i no that's a really interesting point but it's kind of hard to break into because the the position we're in now there's no out right like how do you get out of that where it's like yeah there is a trend cycle so everything changes all the time so where can Mm -hmm. avant-garde play a role which is like really yeah. interesting thought and there's also that whole issue of like virality yeah like just things relying on you know being daring enough to get people's attention yeah. but still appealing um and I you see that a lot with fashion too just like specific brands or items of clothing that just have like gone so viral right. but they're not all that creative or new they've just kind of like just taken on like and almost now people are people are consuming it and liking it simply because it's trendy and whatnot but I mean that's but then that all of that just leaves room for someone to kind of rock the boat right a little bit so right there's always potential for someone to to do that right at all times which then that becomes that cycle right Mm -hmm. where it's like then that person gets then it just becomes the cycle again yeah um yeah it's an interesting age an interesting age interesting Uh, age so knowing more now and the history and everything would you i don't know if you could participate in it but would you kind of like start incorporating this kind of thinking into your art at all yeah, or just I have, into anything, really? <laughs> yeah, I have two answers to this. Like, a two-part answer. I think the biggest part is that I just want to learn more. Like, I want to get more in touch with, like... You know, I, I feel like I did a very, like, introductory learning about it. Whereas, like, I would like to do a much deeper, like... Oh, this is, like, 
learning about avant-garde, seeing how avant-garde happens, like, I, like kind of like learning about it and its history. Um, I do want to apply it to my life more as an ideology, you know, because I think pushing boundaries, we're both artists in different mediums, but um, also in multiple mediums, and I think like keeping in mind to like always challenge what is normal is like a really good way of like evolving your own art too so I definitely want totally. to what about you yeah I I feel like it's it's good to know who all these game changers are and I feel like I want to also learn more about everyone who is like participating in that um yeah. Yeah, and I just I feel like it just in- inspires me to do that. Yeah. More with my art and anything in the future that I do. Um Yeah, and to like Cuz yeah, you just you see the the results that like pushing the boundaries do like cause right. a radical change and they it does it is for the greater good. Right. Honestly. Okay. What about uh in general, do you see like uh avant-garde growing in the world i think so i think there is more a more a push for 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 new ideas generally i think in the art world i think people are i think because just the the way that we have access to everything and know everything um people just there's just so much more room to be different and subvert the norm um nowadays than I think there ever was before and there's so much acceptance for it for the most part I would say um obviously like it's you know part of it is is also causing uproar too but I think generally there is a lot more space to do it yeah I I fully agree I think I have (laughs) like hopes which differ from like what I think could actually happen but I think in order for, like, true avant-gardeism, like, avant-garde movement to come out of this 21st century, or at least the early part of this 21st century, um, it would need to be a big, big push against this, you know, capitalism and this consumerism and this technology, like, blast that we kind of face daily. And I don't know how that would take a form within it or outside of it like I I don't know what form that would take but I feel like it would need to really push the boundaries of that in a interesting way I I agree with that I feel like I know I just I keep like contradicting myself today but I do think like as much as maybe there is space for experimentation and like I almost just think there hasn't been everything has been commodified right to a point where it's just so hard right to really like break the mold like to an actual in an actual way like a really like you know society changing way yeah but but i would hope that that is coming (laughs) yeah and in the future in the near future i hope there's like a a change in things not you know not just i mean art affects life but yeah Yeah, and i think we're all getting a little bored of all of it. I don't know. I I am, and I have been. But um. I'm also very bored. <laughs> um, 
I think this is very funny. I was fully, like, I came into this and I was fully ready to, like, for you to convince me that it's, like, I don't know, that there was a lot of avant-garde happening. And I think there is. And I think you're right. But I think I also convinced you a little bit. That's so, like, a dentist. In some yeah. respects. I'm, like, I'm also just, like, yeah, everything is so... I just feel like everything is being just being, again, commodified and just for consumption that, yeah. you know, it's so, it nothing, a lot of things don't really feel like they're purely for creating or purely for sparking change yeah. as much. Yeah. Yeah. But that's just, you know, could just think, be the, the perspective that, our point of view, but. No, I think everything I read says we're, <laughs> we're not the only one, so I feel like. It's valid. I do want to say, though, this is re- a really interesting aesthetic to go into, and I'm really happy that we did this. Uh, I really, like, really enjoyed doing this episode, which I feel like I've said a lot this season, which I love for us. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that should wrap us up for today, right? Yeah, we are. <laughs> so sorry for you editing, Emma. Oh, so I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm going to be very happy editing this, because uh, it's going to remind me to like do more research. But yeah. All right. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.